Uh, well, I'm assuming you guys know uh, what this class is, and so is this kind of a personal thing for you guys, uh, family, or at least something going on in your church? People you know are struggling with some sort of alcoholism or, or addiction, because um, that's what that's what we're going to be talking about. And um, just really grateful that you guys um, could be here. Uh, in some ways, I feel like I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, I'm not supposed to be here talking about this. Uh, this was not supposed to happen. Uh, my life. Um, my family life, it wasn't supposed to go this way. Um, I was supposed to marry a pretty girl. So check, I did that. And uh, we were going to go into campus ministry and pour our hearts into that and work with college students and um, expect to see God work and see uh, kids on college campuses come to faith or grow in their faith and check we did that too that happened uh, we were going to have kids and we did and they were going to grow up they were going to do well in school they would do well in sports and they'd run off and go to college and be successful and have families I was not supposed to have a kid who became an alcoholic um, but that's what happened. Uh, I am not an expert in addiction uh, by any stretch. Um, and I am using Luke 15 as a, as a backdrop, I would say, as kind of a, an encouragement. Um, as it's been an encouragement to me. Um, and it's also, a, I think, something that's been a, a reminder and a calling um, for me on my life and how... God expects me to be, and um, it doesn't, uh, my story doesn't exactly line up with, uh, you know, the story in Luke 15, but uh, there are some, some similarities. I have two sons, uh, there was a lot of rejection, a lot of heartache, uh, a lot of hitting bottom, some awakening, uh, and some repentance. And there are definitely some strong feelings um, between dad and boys, and also some very strong feeling between the boys um, in my family. Um, so I just kind of wanted to share our story, um, our in a sense, my, my church family's story um, runs parallel with this um, because our church family really is kind of a family, and that's one of the things that's been such a strength um, for me and helpful for me. Uh, and hopefully that you might get something that, that could encourage you or, or, or challenge you uh, in some way. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll have a little bit of time toward the end uh, for some questions and answers, uh, maybe some time to, to pray. I want to pray for you guys. Um, and if if something strikes you, I mean, if you have a question or something, just go ahead. We don't have to be too formal here. Just raise your hand and, and we'll stop. And I want to be able to address 
what it is you're thinking and what's what's on your heart. Um, because if this is your journey, and I trust that it is for, for some of you in a very personal way, man, it can suck the life out of you uh, if you let it. Um, ultimately, I think this story is going to call you to be amazed with the father of the story and be amazed and grateful that this father wants to walk alongside with you in your journey and he also stands as I said earlier as a, as, as a figure as a calling upon your life to, to become like me I think I might get some notes here in a second I don't know um, and so whether it's your kid or whether it's your sister or your husband who's struggling with either alcoholism or, or drug addiction um, Bottom line, I could tell you what one thing that's going to be helpful is for you to learn to become more like the father in this story. And I would also say, if it's not something in your family, but it's something in your church, make that a priority for your church. We know we're called to stay in step with God's spirit, to walk in the steps of Jesus, to become like this father here. I mean, that calls on each of our lives when we said, hey, I want to be a disciple. Collectively, we need to do that. So the, that has to be a priority for the Church of Christ at Walnut Creek, where, where I serve. That has to be a priority for, for the church in Wisconsin, where you guys, as a church, you have to come together and be like the father in this story. Um, I tell you, my family was not, I didn't think my family was very unique or, or unusual. Um, we, uh, we were a very, fairly typical ministry family, is kind of how I thought um, we were. Uh, my boys were like many brothers. You know, they had some similarities. They also had some differences um, from each other. They both did really well in school, um, up through high school. Uh, they were both funny. My younger son, Jackson, who was about to turn 23, he's a, he was more of the goofy, funny kind of kid, uh, and he could be funny by intention. Uh, my older son, who uh, just turned 27, Joseph, um, he could also be funny, but often not by intention. Um, he was one of those kids that could just say things and... Uh, like, okay, yeah, that was pretty funny, but I don't think you meant to be. Um, one of my favorite memories of him is when we were at uh, the beach in South Carolina with my mom, and um, we were out in the ocean, and Joseph was probably eight or nine years old at the time, and uh, salt water, great way to learn how to float, and it was nice and calm, South Carolina water was pretty good, and, and so I'm in there, and I've got my hands under his back, and, and, and I'm trying to get him to float, and stretch his arms out, and hold his head back. And uh, he just keeps wanting to go under a little bit. And uh, um, he was, he was, he had like zero fat on him at all. He was a really skinny kid. You know? And uh, uh, my mom, who goes by Nana, was out there um, with us. And she wanted to be encouraging. She's great grandma. And um, she came over and she's like, do like Nana, Joseph, do like Nana. See, put your head back. And see, even Nana can float. To which he says, that's because your body has a lot of fat. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So fortunately, Mom had a good sense of humor. Um, 
As Joseph got older, some of those funny things started having a, an edge to it. Some just meanness there. Uh, and sometimes there was this like flat out violence um, in the words that he would just spit out right at you. Um, and so words about why Nana can float turn into these words that really kind of puncture your heart. And what we realized fairly early on, um, middle school, high school age, is that you know anxiety and depression were beginning to shape his experience and a lot of his words. Uh, by his senior year in high school and then going into college, um, one of the ways that he had started trying to cope with his anxiety is he started just cutting himself on his shoulder. And he's got some really juicy scars um, on his shoulder. Um, but he's trying to relieve the stress. But not too much later, uh, as an alternative to cutting, he began his relationship with, in his words, the love of my life. Alcohol. Uh, and I think that that's one thing that we have to understand, we have to accept, even if we may not understand it personally. Um, as a loved one or, or as a church who has this going on with some families in your church, it is very often the case uh, that alcohol or some other substance has made this person feel better than they have ever felt in their life more relief than they have ever experienced in their life. And that may sound uh, silly or crazy or pathetic to somebody who doesn't think that way or isn't wired that way, but it's true nonetheless. But as his uh, alcoholism deepened, of course, and you, I'm sure we all have stories here, you know, the horrible behavior just followed. Uh, stealing. Um, boy, if I just had half of the money that stuff was worth that was stolen. Uh, the lying. The explosiveness. Uh, the very ugly and hateful things um, that would come out of his mouth. Um, and when you hear those words directed at you, you, you can kind of have a mix of reactions. You know, I, times I, I know I felt numb and just in shock of what I was hearing. Um, sometimes I would get angry. But mostly, after I would calm down, I would, I would just have this deep ache and just baffled. I could not make sense of someone that I would have given my life for that I had poured my life into, that I had, over the every day of his life, demonstrated that, that I, I wanted to care for him and love him, that uh, he can just turn around and flip me off, literally, cuss me out. And I do this sometimes with parables, I like to like, Let's read between the lines. Let's, let's expand the story. And I sometimes wonder if that younger son in uh, Jesus' parable, that third parable that he tells in Luke 15, if he ever said funny things 
or things that embarrassed his parents. It would seem like probably that's what kids, most kids do that. But what we do know is that as he got older, he certainly said some things that were very injurious and upsetting to his father. Uh, he, what does he do? He comes and asks, asks for his inheritance. Um, and, and, and in this situation, with two sons, it would have been a third of what the father had. And, uh, but the real issue is what? When, do you, when is it that you typically get your inheritance? At death. At death, when somebody dies, yeah. Um, and to us, this sounds like, you know, he's jumping the gun, he's being rude. But in this culture... He is regarding his father as dead. Uh, if the son gets this money, he's not planning on having anything to do with his father anymore. That's right. And everyone listening, as the tax collectors and sinners and um, the Pharisees and teachers of the law and Jesus' disciples, as they are all gathered around listening to this story, every one of them knows that this is horribly offensive that this son has done this in this story um and they 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 know this isn't the hey dad i'm ready to be more responsible can you can you front me some money so i can go out and start my it's not that it's the i'm done with you you're dead to me you're gonna die sometime let's just cut to the chase give me my cut and we're we're through uh he wanted to go to the far country. Um, now it's a little different with with my story because uh, initially it wasn't so much that Joseph resented me and, and wanted to get away from me. Um, he would have taken any money that I gave to him, and he would have gladly gone somewhere else with that money. If I had really really deep pockets, um, he would have gladly taken that and gone. But his plan for a while was rather to use my shelter my provisions and stay there and bring the far country to me bring it into my house and you know what I let it happen I let it happen I was fearful of the consequences of not allowing him to have a place to live and that far country it had such appeal to the younger son in, in Jesus' story and it had a tremendous appeal to my oldest son. And I think the last several years have been a painful reminder to me that the far country really does have such a marketer, such a salesman, um, such a slick and powerful advertiser, and I believe with all my heart that Satan really is trying to lead the entire world off God's farm. Amen. Uh, and you and I, and my kids, and your kids, do not live life on neutral ground. Uh, I believe Jesus' brother James is right when he says that we get enticed away because of our own desires. There is truth in that. Um, Joseph had problems before he ever took a drink. You know, it was something that was driving him 
to that. But it's also true that we are being lied to and fought over every day um, by principalities and powers. And uh, I believe that the sales pitch, that uh, far country seduction pitch, it really seems louder when we or our kids are discouraged or in pain, uh, when life doesn't seem very life-giving. And I think Satan notices that and whispers, you want to know why you're sad? You want to know why you're down? God's not giving you what you need. He's holding back on the promise. He said, you know, I know you read those verses about you're supposed to have the full life, right? You know, I can't, you might have life and have it to the full. You know, are you feeling full? Well, let me tell you why, because that's the lie. And plants those seeds of you are going to need to make your own happiness. You need to do whatever it takes to cut that pain that you're experiencing. And Joseph was in pain. He was uh, emotionally, internally. And he thought that he had found this solution. And his entire life, literally, began to revolve around alcohol. Everything. He wake up in the morning. First thing, I got to find a place to drink. He would try to hide things in his room. He'd hide things buried all over our property. Uh, I could start a glass recycling business, you know, uh, with the stuff that I pulled out of my yard. Um, he stole. Lying, I think, became his first language. <coughs> Uh, and as time went on, he got more and more brazen, more and more out of control. And I was eventually able to get to the point where I gave up. I, I knew I could not fix this. Uh, and I surrendered. And probably one of the biggest things, uh, I knew what the right thing was up here. It's getting to it here and here where you actually start to pull the trigger. And one of the things that took a long time for me to surrender is um, the hope and the power of my wonderful example. I had to hang that up. Uh, and I had to hang up my, you know, my super dad cape, my pleading, my words of hope for him when I would try to speak into his life because I, get, I tell you, you get to a point where those words just were distasteful to me. I did not believe them anymore for him. They had been sabotaged and I'd been disappointed so many times. I just couldn't believe the words that I knew that I had to say. That I, I know God loves you. I know you can get your life squared away. And I chose, with the help of some people, to take a posture that, um, of lovingly disconnecting. Not in anger, Amen. not in punishment, but because I believe this is my last shot to do something within my control that might help you. And to lovingly disconnect, to remove my safety net for him. Um, and so I set a date for him to leave the house, and I thank God so, so much that he did not fight me on that one. 
Um, uh, me being me, uh, picked up my rescue cape one more time. You know, when I hung up, it's tough. Um, but even in his, setting that date for him to go, I got him stuff that would help him survive a little bit better on the streets, I thought. I gave him, it's like 1500 bucks uh, in case he got in trouble so he could at least get in a hotel or something like that or get some food or something. Gone. First night. All of it. Just threw a big party at a hotel over in Pacifica. It's just gone. And when I dropped him off, uh, just driving away um, from where he said he was going to be, you know, just crying. Yeah. Uh, and again, disciplining myself to pray for what had become the staple prayers. I'd pray that he wouldn't die. I'd pray that he wouldn't be the cause of somebody else's death. Prayed he wouldn't wind up in jail. And then what I also had for a while begun to, to pray for much more fervently was for clarity. For him to somehow break through this fog that he's living in and just see reality. Um, well, eventually that son in Jesus' story finds out the far country isn't all it's cracked up to be, right? Kind of winds up disappointing him, and he winds up in this world of hurt, squanders everything. I don't know if he did it in one night. You know, Jesus doesn't tell us how long he's out there. Weeks, months, years, who knows? But he squanders it all. Everything his dad had given him, and he winds up, what I like, he is covered in pig poo and shame. That is what he is dressed in. And he knows that he is forsaken. He knows it. And nobody's helping him, right? right. He is forsaken. Uh, but living in the pig poo and wanting to eat pig food, uh, I think it began to help him what? Help him come to his senses. Right. For Joseph, uh, being homeless and eventually carving out a little spot in a tunnel behind a Safeway, uh, with other addicts, um, being constantly exposed to just being out in the open and the dirt and the violence. There's violence all the time right. in that community. The lack of food that began to help him have some moments of clarity. Um, and maybe that doesn't seem like an especially deep theological experience, you know. Joseph was not suddenly moved by the idea of penal substitution. <laughs> he was not suddenly moved by this wonderful contemporary worship service with beautiful voices and beautiful clothes and beautiful faces. And that wasn't it. And those things can be wonderful. He was moved to come to his senses because of his hunger and his filth. His fear of what he has since told me of getting 
either stabbed or raped. His lowness was what was helping him wake up. Um, and it, even for him, it was getting too hard to pretend like things were just fine. And so like the younger son in Jesus' story, uh, in his own filth, and probably the skinniest I'd ever seen him in his life, shaking, looking desperate, showed up on my front porch, said I'm ready to get some help. Praise God. When, uh, those are tough days. (laughs) When, um, when he was in rehab and in the process of coming to his senses, and I've, I've really learned that it's not a one-time thing you come to your senses. It's a, especially for an alcoholic, it is a process of coming to your senses. But one of the exercises that he did um, was that he had to write a goodbye letter to alcohol. I read this to my church a few weeks ago, and I told him, I said, I, I greatly edited this because I don't have enough money to put in the swear jar if I read what he actually wrote. Um, but here, here, here goes. I'll, I'll give you the, the PG version. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, alcohol. And these are the things that really speak to me in trying to get out of my eyes and my shoes and get into his. You were the warmest blanket. You were the closest friend I ever had, the love of my life. I can't express how much it hurts to see you off. But I can see how all you have created for me is shambles. My life My family and my true friends have been buried beneath the ruins, and I am sickened. I have become sickened by all of this. Without you, it feels like hell. Have you tricked me? I now believe so. You are a deceiver like the one in the garden. And it was some clarity. He was starting to come to his senses. Well, the hero in Jesus' parable is the father, of course. It's the father. Um, And the father in this story over this whole ordeal with Joseph, which went for years, uh, man, he has sustained me. Um, I can't think of how many times I've just, I'm on empty. I am on empty. I got nothing. And yet I'd get up another day. Good morning, Lord. Here we go. Uh, He has sustained me. And again, he's the one you and I are called to imitate. Um, And so here's some things that I see in this father that have helped uh, sustain me and that sort of my story just kind of dovetails into Jesus' story. Um, This father has a vulnerable heart. Um, When you choose to become a parent, you are opening yourself up to pain and cost, right? Now there's joy and fulfillment, but you're opening yourself up to some pain and some cost. And God chose to become a parent. He made that choice. And there's this, this fierce 
devotion you have as a parent, you you hurt with your kids. You know, when they don't make the team, you may be very well as upset as they are. Uh, you worry about them when they go out on their their date. You worry about them when they're at school or when they're at a friend's house. Um, we are so connected with them that when things do go bad for them, it hurts us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the police show up at your house uninvited, <laughs> uninvited, unannounced. Yeah, uh, looking for your kid. And you're just, uh, what now? What now? Um, one afternoon, I watched, uh, police were inside my house. Uh, I watched Joseph go from this just heavy crying to rage, just like that. And it's almost like he didn't have eyelids. I mean, the eyes were wide open. He's staring at me as they're handcuffing him. And just think of the worst. That's what I was getting. Um, and he got taken away for his own safety. Uh, after five days in a clinic, they, they released him. He didn't have anywhere to go. Put on Super Dad cape, you know. Went, went to go pick him up. Uh, I present. I had made this paper. I presented him with this paper of a list of conditions if he wanted to stay in our house. He was going to have to meet these conditions. And uh, I thought it would be arguing, and uh, but it wasn't. He uh, he said, "Dad, I don't. I just don't think I can do this. I can't do these conditions." Um, now I'm just going to need to go, go somewhere else. And I knew he didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, he would not accept the help that I was offering him at that time. And it's just like a gut punch. When somebody you love and you know that you can help refuses it, it's like, oh. Because you just want your kids to have life. And God chose to become a parent and he just, just wants people to have life. And his choice is also saying, though, by becoming a parent, I am giving you the power to hurt me deeply. So you and I have the power to hurt God deeply. And in, I don't know, in a very weird way, understanding that more and more and going through my experience in my family, uh, it encouraged me. Um, getting a taste of how God often feels somehow encouraged me. I also think uh, the Father's heart is a non-manipulative heart. So I think the people listening to Jesus' story, and especially at the beginning when uh, this horribly offensive, absurd, uh, off-putting request is made by this son, and what does the Father do? He, he does it. He does it. And everybody listening to this story is like, what a fool. What a, he is 100% in, 
in the right, 100% uh, justified in withholding everything and locking that kid down. But the father gives the money in Jesus' story, uh, and he lets his son walk out. Um, and I think Jesus tells the story this way because I, he wants to drive home the point that God, his heart is not a manipulative heart. Uh, God values freedom, and he will, so much so he'll let you walk out. And he'll let you reject him, and it tears him up. But the all-powerful God of the universe is saying to you, I love you so much, you are free to go. I have, I have no interest in forcing you to be with me if you don't want to be here. That's right. That's right. And so God allows us to make choices to even walk away, even though he knows the consequences of the far country. And non-manipulative to me sounds a little bit like uh, letting go of control issues, right? I mean, what's the big thing with family members of an alcoholic? It's control. And that was a hard, hard place um, for me to get to. Uh, I, I can pray alcohol, alcoholism away. I know I can do it. I can do it. Uh, you spend a ton of time doing everything you can think of trying to fix this problem, but you cannot. He is out of control, and I was out of any ability to control the situation. And truly realizing that, man, that is a hard, hard place. Again, here, it hits here first, it's here and here, and what I'm going to do actually with my hands and my feet. Uh, to let go of trying, of trying to control, um, to get to a point where you um, are going to remove that safety net, let them answer for their own choices, um, making them leave the house. The hard part is, is because I believed in my heart of hearts that doing that, I greatly increased the likelihood of him either winding up in jail or the morgue by, by me choosing to do that. Um, and you learn a little bit about God's heart when that happens. Early on at uh, an Al-Anon meeting, I finally shared that um, with some, some people about this, this is my fear. I'm afraid he's going to die. And there was an older couple there holding hands, and they just kind of smiled very warmly and looked at me. And he said, Son, that's what we're all afraid of. Every one of us. Um, so if you go to, go to get involved with Al Anon or, or an AA group, um, if this is in your family, uh, God knows that manipulation, trying to control somebody else or somebody's behavior, never helps anybody. That's right. And it, even maybe more important, it never creates a loving relationship. Ever. And God is trying to form that sort of heart in you and in me. He also has this unembarrassed heart, uh, unembarrassed and, and restoring heart. Um, I've told my church before, I have this love-hate thing with bumper stickers. Um, it just... 
and especially the religious ones. I mean, they just kind of some of them I just really don't like. But your PTA, just like the PTAs in my town, um, have discovered that bumper stickers are good money makers, right? Especially if you have one of those kids, right? One of those kids. You know, they're the first in the class at, at Split and Adam Elementary, you know, and so they, those are big sellers. Uh, what if your kid's not like that? I mean, what if your kid's barely getting by, and maybe worse, what if your kid's the bad element at school? Uh, dad of detention kid? Uh, mom of promiscuous sophomore? Those are not big sellers in the bumper market business. You know, people don't put those on their car. But those are very real issues, right? And I'm not saying that you could, shouldn't be concerned. You should be concerned about situations like that. But what I want us to recognize is that in this story, when it comes to this son, this father doesn't have any bumper stickers to put on about this guy. He's got nothing. He comes back in you know, this stench of, of brothels and pigs, uh, no trophies, no diplomas, no, uh, hey, look, here's an article on a company that I started and we're doing great. And none of that. Just failure and waste and embarrassment and shame. And yet the father, unashamed, right. smothers him with hugs and kisses. Yeah. And he begins to restore his dignity. That's what you see, I think, with this ring and this robe and sandals. And, and we have to remember that we are in the people business. And if I am more worried about my image, my sense of there needs to be some comeuppance, uh, my need to say I told you so, uh, if I'm worried more about that stuff than I am about people, I am not going to be like the Father in this story. So God loves to have people restored to him. Uh, so much so that he'll step over the hurt of his own heart and smother returners with kisses. Uh, and he's trying to form that very kind of heart in us. Um, last thing I want to talk about the father here that I, I really think is important is he has a celebratory heart. Uh, this past February, Joseph got his one-year chip from AA, um, and wow. Uh, I go to a meeting with him every week. Uh, things are so much better now. Um, every at the, at the meeting that he and I go to together, it's an open meeting, so I can go, and uh, they uh, month have a monthly birthday party. You know, for to celebrate um, sobriety dates, birthdays, and stuff. And um, so, on his one-year birthday, he was there, and it's the first one I've ever been to. You know, uh, a, a birthday party. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not that big a deal to people, but uh, they have them all standing up there, and they are so—I won't even say maybe proud in a good way, but so thankful. And we all sing to them. And we, we sing happy birthday. And they end the happy birthday. Happy birthday, alcoholics. <laughs> it's like, all right. You know, like, uh, haven't seen that bumper sticker either. 
Happy birthday, alcoholics. But the Father commands and he participates in the celebration. Um, but for what? What? Again. He's not coming back to give you the report about this uh, women's shelter that he established for abused women. and He's not coming back to tell you about anything good. His achievements are, are zero. But the Father says we celebrate. Why? Because the son of mine was dead. He's alive. He was lost. And he's found. He was the reason for the celebration, not what he brought home. Um, and it has been so important for my relationship with Joseph to continually celebrate him. Um, God loves to celebrate and he's trying to create that kind of heart in us uh, the story doesn't start doesn't stop there though right <clears throat> doesn't end with this wayward son returning home um, to a forgiving father and um, been reading the story or listening to the story something's kind of been in the kind of the back burner of your mind conspicuously absent because uh, Jesus begins that third parable what? there was a man who had two sons um, after all that crazy stuff had happened with the first son uh, he comes home and this big party has happened and it's going on and Jesus says you know while the party is, is commencing uh, meanwhile that other son's out in the field and um He's been working. Uh, meanwhile, is two totally different experiences um, for these two sons. That was true of my family. Uh, meanwhile, for Joseph, meant lying and stealing and uh, just wreaking havoc. And meanwhile, for Jackson, meant graduating from high school, going to college, getting a degree in chemistry, working in a research lab, uh, reads his Bible all the time, prays, goes to church. I mean, he's He's doing it right. Uh, sorry, we're running out of time. The fight. Uh, over a year ago, probably a year and a half ago, uh, before Joseph had gone into rehab, Jackson was home from Texas, just visiting for the holidays. And uh, we were up late one night. He and I just talking. He was getting ready to go back to uh, Texas early in the morning. And uh, I didn't take a shower until real late that night. So taking a shower, come out of the shower, and I hear this rump, this noise, like things banging around. Right? And I come out, and this are, well, I mean, it, it's big haymakers. My boys are going at it. Going to town. Joseph, been drinking, started popping off, and... That meanwhile for Jackson, those years of meanwhile, it's just a little bit more, a little bit more, resenting a little bit more, a little bit more, and finally, he had it. He popped. And it was, it was bad. And I had to kick Joseph out because I could tell he was intoxicated. I said, I'm not having you in my house like this. Jackson threw the first punch. 
soon as Joseph was out, Jackson just melted. Uncontrollable stuff. Uh, they didn't talk for months and months. And when Joseph went to rehab, Jackson thought it was some ploy to just get back in good graces, get back in the house. Uh, Jackson felt the need to recount Joseph's history as if I did not know it. Um, and that's what the brothers who stay on the farm, you know, have a tendency to do. Um, uh, the short of it, oh, God bless them. I mean, I tried to be really patient. I understand his anger with me for letting things go on so long. I've apologized to him uh, numerous times. Uh, and he's starting to understand why. Um, uh, but uh, Joseph finally called him after he'd been clean and sober for several months. And they began to repair. They both apologized to each other and cried together and began to repair their relationship. And this last Christmas, we took a family Christmas picture. It's the first honest, happy family Christmas picture we'd taken in probably seven years. Uh, that was the best present that year, by far. I'll never forget that. Uh, Jackson gave Joseph his PS4. They're hugging in the living room. I'm like, man, this is the best. This is the best. Uh, I, I don't know what all is going on with you and your families. Um, I hope that you can draw on the strength of this father that Jesus talks about to be of help. I hope your church can do that. I hope you're at a church, and if, if you are someone who's at a church, this isn't your family that's dealing with this, but you're at a church, man, make that a priority for your church to let people talk about this and do it in a safe place where they're not going to get questioned about their parenting. They already done a lot of that, okay? Um, they need uh, a place to heal. And I'm so thankful for my church that allowed me um, to, to, to do that. Uh, publicly and walk along with us. So thank you guys. Um, real quickly, God, I just want to pray for these families and in the heartache that goes on in the churches and in the families. Um, thank you for never sleeping, for being with them, uh, walking with them, uh, and I pray that healing would happen for them and uh, the people that they love. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.